Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host Lois Drachen as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all things disability. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. And before we launch into today's interview, just a quick, a quick request from me. If you enjoy what we're doing on the podcast, please share it with a friend. Share the link, share the posts, or just let them know about a different way of seeing. Thanks so much for doing that. Right. So today we are talking to Nicole Vergas and Nick Smith from the company Smurgis, based in Gauteng in South Africa. We're going to be talking to them a little bit about the organization, the work they do, and then looking more specifically at employment for persons with disabilities. Nicole, Nick, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so Thanks, much. Sam. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you. Uh, how are you both doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Nicole. Nick, are you well? Uh, I'm good. I'm really excited to to be here. So uh, I've got a smile on my face and I'm I'm ready for this. Well, that works very well in audio. Great. Let's start off just by asking you each to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit of your story. Nicole, shall we start with yours? Perfect. All right. So uh, I'm the co-founder of Smogos, and we're going to get into a bit more detail as the interview goes on about the work that we do. Um, I am a person with a disability. I was uh, born with a, a rare condition known as brittle bones. Uh, so essentially, my bones are not as strong as the average person as a result of uh, a lack of um, collagen production. And, uh, and as a result, I've always been wheelchair bound. Uh, and, um, yeah, in some ways that's always been quite interesting. I think, um, you know, being born with your disability versus acquiring one later in life. Um, I've always been interested in how that would, um, uh, change from a psychological perspective. Uh, and then, yeah. And then in terms of, uh, my, my professional career, I'm, uh, I'm a market researcher by profession and, um, my passion is to, Take that research skill that I've uh, that I've learned and do more uh, disability and uh, social research going forward. Um, and that's me. So I think I'll hand over to Nick now. Uh, thanks so much, Nicole. So um, I am Nick Smith, and I am a person with a disability as well. I have a cerebral palsy or CP with hemiplegia, um, not as a result of birth. Um, but rather from a car accident when I was six months old. So I've, I've had it for most of my life. Um, and I am a qualified and passionate teacher. I uh, live on the edge and I teach maths. I'm also a professional speaker, entrepreneur. And uh, as Nicole mentioned, 
the co-founder of Smurgos? I think there's so many different avenues that I can leap down. And I, I often find this is a, one of my, my biggest challenges in the podcasting world, where I hear things in the introductions and go, ooh, that would be an interesting conversation. And Nicole, hmm. I think the first of those for me was that question of being born with a disability versus acquiring a disability, because mine is acquired as an adult. I was 21 when I became blind. So a different experience from me. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about Smogos. When did the company start and what is the kind of work that you do? Okay, cool. Um, so we're going to cast you back many years here. Um, throwing you all the way back to 2012. Uh, and the the idea of Smogos came about when I was thinking of a gift for Nicole's birthday. Um, I'm not too sure if uh, you, Lois, or any other people listening to this podcast have thought or had this happen to them before. But you know that moment where you're trying to think of something or a gift and you just can't get it right. And you think it's got to be a cool gift. Uh, it can't be like, you know, just something that's obvious, but what can I get her? And then uh, you, you're racking your brains, you're racking your brains. And then all of a sudden on a Saturday morning at 7.30, I shot up out of bed and I knew what it was that I had to get Nicole for her birthday. And that was a wheelchair bag, a bag that could attach to the back of her wheelchair um, and help her carry items because she often had items falling off her lap, um, getting lost or broken. But not just a, you know a random bag, but rather one that could be personalized in some way, and also one that is suited for her wheelchair, um, not like you know a, an average backpack that's just um, you know tweaked or changed to fit onto a wheelchair. And that's where the basis of the Smogos idea started, because I then um, thought about it a bit more, did some research, hopped onto Google, and found that these wheelchair bags are really, really, really expensive because the majority of them come from overseas. So, I mean, your your entry-level bag that I was kind of looking at for, for Nicole, suiting what I was looking for, is about like 2,000, 3,000 Rand. Um, now, with my entrepreneurial mindset, um, I thought, okay, well, I can't get that. I can't afford that, but uh, let's look at making one. So, I then phoned Nicole because... I said, uh, I said to myself, if this is something that I can't find for Nicole, I'm sure other people are going through the same problem. Yeah. So then I phoned Nicole and I said to her, <clears throat> Nicole, um, because I'm a man of mystery, be at my house at 3 p.m. I've got a cool idea to share with you. And luckily she listened to me and at 3 p.m. she arrived and that's where Smogos was born. Nicole. I want to ask you for your, your version of the story. What was your initial response when Nick floated the idea? Uh, I think it was one of, of excitement. I, I saw the opportunity, um, I think the same way that he did. And, uh, and I thought, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, we really have the opportunity to start and um, impact people's lives in a positive way. Because I think our idea with the products was always to help increase mobility, increase um, independence for people with disabilities so that 
like Nick was saying, in my case, you didn't have to worry about, you know, your bag falling off your shoulder or things falling off your lap, but you can just have this bag securely uh, on your wheelchair and be able to get on with your, uh, you know, your life confidently. And this is a product that you still market, you still make? Yes, we do. Uh, so uh, as we will, as we'll get into as the conversation goes on, we we have uh, changed uh, the focus of the the business to an extent, uh, but we do still sell the um, we do still sell the products as well, and they are available on our on our website. And 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 following that, you know, um, Nicole's the Nicole's bag or the bag that we um, started with was the BBF, which is the best bag forever. And then we also thought of things like school bags for children and things like that. So we then diversified our range of offerings to a few different bags and a few different products. Um, I also want to quickly, while we're talking about Smurgos, uh, explain where the word or name Smurgos came from, as well as our slogan, because I think it's rather important. Um, so I, I racked my brains for quite a while on what to call it. And I went through many different iterations um, and then, you know, the, the obvious slapped me in the face and, uh, we took the beginning of my surname and the end of Nicole's surname. So it was Smith and Virgos and, um, you know, smashed them together in awesomeness and got Smurgos because it's Smith and Virgos together. Um, and I think that was really important for us at the time. And it is still important to us because, um, you know, it's part of who we are. And we are part of that company, you know, with our surnames being uh, the in the name. And then for our um, for our slogan, we created the tagline "Inspiring Motion," because as Nicole said, you know, we want to give freedom to people with disabilities as well as help them to inspire motion, to help them to want to get out there, to do things in their lives, to take on challenges. And uh, not only from a disabled perspective, but um, from uh, society as a whole, if we can help move society forward, if we can help inspire motion um, everywhere we go, you know, that would be our goal as, as Smurgos um, achieved. It's a great tagline. I really like that. So how then did you move into the employment space in terms of employability of persons with disabilities and the, 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 that kind of part of the work you're doing? So it was, uh, it was actually quite serendipitous, to be honest. Uh, what happened was, uh, this was during 2020 when we were in hard lockdown. And uh, at that time, the product sales had completely stopped, um, as I think many companies experienced during that time. And Nick and I met and we thought, well, you know, how can we still um, contribute? You know, how can we still support people with disabilities, even if it's no longer through the products? So we got the idea to then start these uh, weekly Zoom calls uh, that people could join. So we advertised it through our networks, through our social media. And initially, it just started off as a really casual conversation. There wasn't really a formal structure. Or anything that was like, hey, just if you're feeling a little bit lonely and isolated, join this call and let's just, um, you know, have a have a relaxed conversation. And uh, 
we we started doing these calls and the first few was uh literally just Nick and I <laughs> but after a while it started to gain some momentum and uh and the reason why I said it was quite uh, serendipitous is during this time as well uh this was when Nick was starting to get into public speaking as well so he was starting to connect with a lot of people um in that in that field and when he told them about these calls that we were having a lot of them showed interest and said oh well you know I would like to join these calls and I would like to come on and, and, you know, give a talk. Um, and so then it started to gain some momentum and, and we started to get people with and without disabilities joining the calls. And we started to get speakers joining the calls and all taught all sorts of um, topics. So some were disability related, some were around mindset, some were around nutrition, really uh, like anything you could think of. And uh, one of the days we had a, a a lady who's also a public speaker and a DEI specialist. So DEI is diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. And after she joined the call, uh, she then contacted us and said, you know, um, I really love what you guys are doing and the message that you're spreading. And one of her clients had asked her to do some training on disability but she felt that it was inauthentic for her to do it because she wasn't a person with a disability herself. So she said, is this something that you guys would be able to help with? And although we weren't really doing it then, it did seem like a natural progression because, you know, Nick having his teaching background and, and public speaking experience, um, you know, we have a lot of knowledge and insight around disability. So it started off with that, um, with that training. Uh, and then from there, it just, it, it grew quite organically. You know, then we started to connect with other people and grow the team. And we had someone come in who specializes with disability audits, uh, accessibility audits, my apologies. Uh, and we also had uh, someone come in who uh, got her PhD in, um, in people in the workplace uh, with disabilities and how to be more inclusive. Uh, and then we also had someone come in who is a, a coach and a mentor uh, an expert in this in this field as well, and so that's how it it kind of started, and it's it's just become uh, this this really uh, great thing. And and I think what's so great about it is that um, in many ways the the products weren't really Nick and my strengths. You know, he's a teacher, I'm a researcher, so it was quite um, out of our um, out of our field of expertise. But I feel like this direction that we've gone into now, we're actually all tapping into our strengths. Uh, which is which is a really great place to be. That's a, as you say, a very serendipitous story. Um, I attended a couple of the, the calls during lockdown. I remember they were really, really a lot of fun and some really interesting topics that were covered. Lovely starting story. Mm -hmm. So looking then from that perspective, what would you say are the biggest challenges faced by people with disabilities who are looking for employment? Um, thanks for that question, Lois. I think it's a really important one. Um, you know, I think a lot of people uh, with and without disabilities uh, struggle with employment. I mean, we've got a huge unemployment rate in South Africa, but... Um, I think the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is even more of a challenge than than it you know it appears to be. Um, so I think 
there are challenges that are from both sides. Um, and by both sides, I mean from the, the corporate side or, or the business side, but also from the people with disabilities side. I think uh, a challenge that people with disabilities often face is um, in, in our experience working with some corporates and working with interns and learnership um, you know, uh, people. We've got, uh, conf- you know, people with disabilities often have confidence issues in themselves and their abilities, even if they've studied to to apply for that role and and they know on paper they've got it, uh, you know, the expertise. Uh, their confidence doesn't always match their their degree or their expertise. Um, and then I think another big um, challenge is a sense of belonging. I think quite a few people with disabilities struggle with uh, integrating themselves into the corporate space because they they feel different, they are different, and um, it's not always easy. And then I think um, we also have the challenge of, and it's a human it's human nature to do this, but uh, a need almost to compare ourselves. Uh, to others. And this again happens from both sides, those in the company that don't have disabilities and those that uh, are new to the company that have disabilities um, end up comparing each other and, you know, oh, you, you're different and therefore you don't fit in. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, I think the the things that we have as people with disabilities, those challenges do play a big role in taking risks and stepping out of our comfort zones and saying, you know, I have what it takes to apply for this position. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Um, and then obviously from a, from a corporate's perspective or a business's perspective, I think, um, there are many challenges as well. For example, uh, leadership and, and the employees in the company as a whole, uh, not being ready to integrate people with disabilities, And I think this is largely a problem because of, um, we call it the tick box mentality, where uh, companies often just say, you know, okay, we need to hire X amount of people with disabilities because we need to be able to tick that box. And not enough thought goes into it about, you know, okay, now we've got these people working for us. How do we actually integrate them properly? And how do we get our teams um, in the right headspace, in the right um, physical space, and, and make sure that the work that you know we're doing as a company and and the people that we're hiring um, are actually benefiting because I feel like if both company and employee can you know, almost optimize this, then both parties can mutually benefit in more ways than you know we can even imagine. So I think the 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 mental space is one of the biggest um, problems, both from a people without disabilities and people with disabilities space. But then obviously um, we also have the need for accessibility. So I think that's also a challenge again on both sides is, is the building physically accessible? Um, and then is the tech that they're using accessible? Uh, and then obviously we've also got to look at flexibility within that and that being okay, um, making your workplace uh, suitable uh, in terms of uh, realistic and meaningful accommodations. For example, um, you know, 
if you're a person with a disability, can you get from the first floor to the fourth floor unhindered? If you're a person with a rare, dis- a rare disease and you can't work a full day and you need a nap in between, but you're willing to work later, can they accommodate that? Um, and is that okay uh, with their team? You know, Does the team understand that you, this person is contributing, they're just contributing in a slightly different way? So I think those are the challenges facing um, integrating people with disabilities uh, in the corporate space. Nicole, your thoughts on this question? Because it's a very complicated question. I think if you're looking both from the employee and the employer side, and of course, both are very valid points. No, absolutely. And and I think Mick raised some um, some really great points there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think from from a from an employer perspective, uh, you know, there is that tick box mentality that Mick mentioned. And I also think that there's this unconscious bias um, that people will have, especially if they themselves have never had a disability or known anyone with a disability. Then I think, um, you know, even, you know, they'll tend to think like, oh, you know, people with disabilities, um, they're going to be less productive than other other employees um, or they're going to be sick all the time. Uh, you know, things like that. And and what we found with, with, you know, some of the research that's been done overseas is that that's actually not the case. The the opposite is, is often true. People with disabilities uh, tend to be uh, more productive um, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of them have faced, um, you know, haven't been given many opportunities in their life. So when someone does give them uh, an opportunity, I think then they give it their all a lot of the time. Um, I think it's very much the case, you know, there's, you know, I keep coming up against that social stereotype and just from talking to people, you know, the, the kind of questions that people are being asked in interviews, if a potential employer can't even see how a person can do something simple, like applying their makeup in, in, in case of, you know, people who are blind or eating food or, or just daily healthcare, then how can they even begin to conceive of how they could effectively work in a job? And that unconscious bias is, it's such a huge factor and it impacts on so many different aspects. And I think we do see it a lot in the employment space. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then I think they also... Uh, you know, Nick also touched on reasonable accommodations. And I think also, again, because of that lack of, of uh, awareness, I think a lot of them, when they think about reasonable accommodations, they they have this, you know, big, scary thing in mind of they have to redesign the whole building. And oftentimes, it's not that at all. Uh, you know, it can be such such small things like just making sure that the coffee cups are at a lowest shelf so that someone in a wheelchair could reach them and make coffee independently. Or, uh, you know, if someone has maybe got a bit of a hearing impairment, you know, putting them in a position in the office where it's not too noisy. Uh, you know, so so I think, again, that's just coming into about raising that 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 awareness and and, and informing people of, of um, as you say, breaking down those stereotypes and what is actually the reality. Are you finding, though, that in some cases, in, in terms of that tick box mentality, that HR departments are saying we, we need to, in terms of the legislative requirements, we need to hire people with disabilities, but there's 
no actual buy-in at lower levels because there's no understanding or training done to carry that intention through to all levels of the organization. I think that is I think that is important and I think we are uh, facing that in some of the early conversations you know when we have discovery calls with with corporates and things like that it's it's not always easy to kind of get their buy in right from the word go because of this seemingly unknown entity and they like Nicole was saying it's um in their mind sometimes it's so big and how do we do this and um you know we face uh, like quite a hard slug when it comes to um, having people in meetings and saying, okay, let's talk about integrating people with disabilities, or let's talk about reasonable accommodations, or let's talk about um, disability awareness training so that we can get um, all your staff in the right headspace um, for, for interacting and working with people with disabilities. And um, often uh, we feel that, you know, when you're sitting in those meetings, You've got some people there that are there, but not truly there. And it comes back to that word buy-in, doesn't it? Yeah. Or or the the, the two big challenges, buy-in and perceived cost. Mm. So where does Smokers then fit into this picture? What are the kind of services and products that you offer that, that fit in? to this conversation. Sure, so I'm, I'm happy to uh, start and then uh, Nick, maybe you can just fill in, fill in any gaps that I miss. I got your back, we got this. Cool, so, so yeah, I mean, I think tying into to what we were just talking about is, you know, what we offer, we often do refer to it as a roadmap because it is a journey, right? It's not just a once-off, come in, do a workshop for half a day and oh, tick, the company is now inclusive and diverse. Um, it, it's really, like you say, there's so many moving parts and so many different aspects of it. And, and that's why, you know, we, we have this amazing team, uh, you know, where each of us have these um, points of, of strength. So I think, you know, they, they, they are, there are a lot of aspects to look at. Um, you know, for example, we can come in and do coaching with the managers. Uh, and and have those uh, you know those those interactions with them, and as you say, try to um, uncover some of these these bias and uh, and things, and so that we can try to shift that mindset and that attitude towards people with disabilities. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, Lois, um, about how HR would have their uh, sort of you know their their mission that they need to go on, but getting that buy-in from the staff. And we actually had a meeting with a corporate company uh, about two weeks ago and they were faced with this exact problem where, um, you know, HR is rolling it out and they're bringing in these interns with disabilities, but they are receiving this resistance from the managers where one of the managers even made a comment of, uh, you know, along the lines of why are you forcing me to have these people in my department? And that shows you that something is broken essentially. Yeah. And, and that is why I think it's so important to, to have things like the, the coaching of the managers. But then we also have a mentoring program for, for the interns or employees that are coming into the company. And I think that that is just as important because, as Nick mentioned, you know, confidence is, is an issue that many people with disabilities struggle with. I know I have throughout my life. 
And, and I think having this mentoring program where we, we help them with goal setting and helping them find, uh, you know, their, their direction in life and what is their personal brand and what is their unique strengths where I don't think they've ever had the opportunity to think about that and have that reflection. And, and what we noticed was so powerful with this mentoring program was that it had a ripple effect. So yes, their personal development um, was fantastic to see, but it also made them more dedicated to the work that they were doing. It made them work better with their teammates. You know what I mean? So it, it like had this effect that spread far beyond just their individual growth. Mm. Uh, and then in addition to that, we can also do accessibility audits. Um, so we can do that where we go into the place and we we assess either the building or the store, uh, you know, any physical environment. And then what we can do is from there, um, we categorize our findings. So we say things that are, um, you know, critical and have to be adapted immediately. Those that are, um, you know, should be done within the next six months to a year. And then like the third criteria would be more like, it's nice to have this, but it's not, uh, you know, it's okay if it's, if it's not implemented. Um, and then we've also uh, working with some people overseas that are able to do websites accessibility. So we can do ex, uh, an, an audit on your website or your intranet. Um, you know, so that's critical for people that do use uh, devices such as screen readers. Uh, just to make that that user experience easier. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to stop talking now and maybe <laughs> hand it to Nick if there's anything else he wants to add. Um, thanks so much, Nicole. You, I, I was busy uh, mentally and also physically ticking off the list and you have <laughs> covered almost everything. Um, but Lois, this is the story of our team. Uh, you know, I'm the extrovert and Nicole's the introvert. So I always have to have uh, her back in terms of helping promote herself in this team. Uh, as, as the speaker and presenter, that's my area of focus. But I think one of the key things that Smogos offers that is a, a key differentiator is the research that uh, Nicole brings to the team. So, you know, we Nicole mentioned that it's a journey that we go on with these companies, and it's definitely not a short-term thing. We are working with the corporate right now, and if I'm correct, Nicole, I think we've worked with them for two and a half, three years now. Um, and so with that in mind, we're looking at putting together um, or implementing short-term research. So, you know, um, both um, short-term research inside the company internally, um, qualitative and quantitative. And then as we develop, as we progress with the, with the company at the end of the day, uh, our end goal is also to create a case study for them to basically say, this is where you started in, let's say, 2020. And now look at the end of 2023 and how much of a difference you've made um, and what growth you've had from different perspectives. And I think that's the key differentiator and something that I think the world needs to kind of focus on as well, because um, with the research that's out there, everybody is focusing on you know, how to sell more, how to uh, you know, perform better and all of that. And uh, they're not really focusing on the human aspect. So not even just, uh, you know, focusing purely on people with disabilities, but rather doing, you know, uh, research inside your company, like how are your people actually doing and, and how can we help them and how can we make them and their experience at that, um, at that company, like 
better. So that is a big area of research, obviously focusing on people with disabilities. Um, and then also, um, I think guidelines is something that we offer, um, you know, HR guidelines, for example, how to onboard a person with disability, um, how to interview them. Um, and cause that's a, an, a space that some people are not confident in and, and not um, familiar with. I mean, if you have never interviewed a person with a disability and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you have Lois entering your your company who's blind and now you're sitting there and you don't know how to interview them, uh, you know, we help, we help with that and a whole bunch of other niche products that we tailor for the corporate and their situation. You know, when we work with, when we work with the corporate, when we work with the company, uh, we understand that this is an unfamiliar space for them and that we are the knowledgeable ones in this space. So it's not a copy paste. It's not a, uh, you know, this is the module you've signed up for and this is all that we're doing. It's, it's a interaction. Uh, we'll have them uh, message us and go, please help me put an email together. Um, to welcome this person to the team and we'll help them with that. Or, you know, we've got this person that's experiencing these difficulties in the company. Uh, can you give us some advice? And we help with that as well. So I think it's a tailored approach um, that's so multifaceted. I think if we had to mention everything that we do, uh, we'd be here for another hour or so. <laughs> so I'm going to stop there. It, it is one of those things. I mean, we need to acknowledge that this isn't a a single it's a multifaceted question because if you take the employment process, you, you, you need to start with, well, it depends which side you start. You know, it's finding the potential employee. Mm. And then that interviewing process, the, the onboarding, it, it all is interrelated. And each of those is handled by different people as well. Yeah. So I, I can see how the the kind of nature of the work you do must be very tailor-made to each required, each requirement that, that you come up against. Yeah. And I mean, going back to our slogan, you know, inspiring motion, um, we, at the very, very beginning of all of this, we made that a conscious decision um, because we didn't want to be a cut and paste company. We wanted to be a tailor, uh, tailored solution company because we want to inspire motion. We want to make sure that we move these companies forward with the people with disabilities as well, moving forward and benefit everybody. You know, if the person with a disability um, is take our mentoring program, if a person with a disability ends up staying in that company um, after our mentoring program, awesome. And if they end up going somewhere else, can they take the skills and knowledge that we've trained them with and the experience that they've got at that company? And can they implement that somewhere else? If the answer is yes, then we've done our job because we've inspired them to make that move. And I guess also, you know, going back, the, the, the research aspect, because a company can't just plop someone into a position and leave it at that. They will need to know the impact on their business, on the teams, on the productivity, on the, you know, the return on, on investment. So I think that side of the research is also fundamental to this whole question. No, we we uh, we absolutely agree, and and as you say, to be able to measure that right and and track and track what is, you know, what is going well and and perhaps where there are areas that we you know that need more attention, 
Um, and, and that's why it's great to, to be able to do that throughout the journey. You know, for example, to before we even do any kind of training or maybe the interns come in, do a staff survey, just a couple of questions asking around, you know, do, do either they themselves have a disability or know anyone else that has a disability? What are their perceptions around disability? And then, and then as that progresses to be able to show how those attitudes, um, you know, changed over time or how behaviors changed over time. Uh, and, and I think it is really powerful. And, and I think, I think research is also quite critical because it, I think it also ties into what we were talking about earlier, that buy-in. Um, because otherwise maybe it, it feels a bit, um, like distant to people. But I think if you have to actually show people numbers and show them, uh, you know, a report of, of what has happened throughout this journey and they can see that there was impact made, then I think it helps to make that buy-in uh, a little bit easier. So taking all of this conversation, all of the information you've shared kind of into account, if someone, uh, a young person who has qualifications, they've finished their tertiary education, they come to you and they say, give me some advice. What, what do I need to do to start that process of looking for employment? What are the kind of skills, the kind of techniques, what do you think that they should know to help them be in the best position to be employable? Yeah, so I would say that the, the first thing I would mention is uh, I would say that you know, to not be uh, afraid to broaden their search when they're looking for work. So, for example, don't only limit themselves to perhaps learnerships or internships for people with disabilities. While there's there's nothing wrong with those um, positions and it's, it's a great foot in the door, uh, you know, if you don't find anything or you don't get accepted, don't let that uh, discourage you and and be open to searching for for other positions. And even if it doesn't say that they're specifically looking for someone with a disability, apply for it anyway. You know, don't limit yourself and um, and perhaps even do some research. Uh, you know, for example, if you had to look at the at the valuable 500 and and you can see companies there that um, that have made a pledge to be more inclusive and to put disability at the top of their agenda. You know, and then if you can see that there's companies there that have, we've also got local offices for go and apply for them, you know, and, um, and, and send your CV. Um, I would say that another, another key thing um, is to spend a little bit of time thinking about your personal brand. Mm. Uh, so what we mean by personal brand is, is just thinking about who are you? Um, what are your values? Uh, what do you think your strengths are? Uh, you know, what, what is um, essentially unique to you? And again, I think a lot of the times when you mention that people think about like, all these big things and they go, oh, but I don't have any strengths, so I'm not unique. But it doesn't have to be, you know, this this massive thing. It can be something like, I'm I'm good with talking to people, or um, I have great attention to detail. You know, those are strengths and those are things that are unique to you. And and if you spend some time reflecting on what that what those are and then you make sure to bring those through in your CV and in your LinkedIn, it will grab um you know, employers' attention and and help you to stand out. Um, 
And then in addition to that, I know that disclosure is voluntary, uh, especially if you have a, a disability that is not um, very obvious from a physical perspective. Um, but again, I, I would my advice would encourage them to be honest about uh, their disability um, and, and not look at it as a weakness, but focus on what you can do versus what you can't do. Mm. Um, and, and not be afraid to ask for those few reasonable accommodations and don't think that it's going to stop you from being employed if you ask for something simple of, can you just put the coffee mugs down so that I can make a cup of coffee in the morning by myself? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that would be that would be my advice. I'm not sure if Nick wants to add anything. Um, of course. Um, <laughs> so um, from my side, I know Nicole, you did touch on it, but very very briefly. I think having an updated LinkedIn page and making sure that that is reflecting who you are, um, part of your personal brand, any degrees that you have or diplomas, any courses that you've gone on, um, especially when it comes to previous works, testimonials, refer references, or anything like that. If you've got that um, on your page, it makes you, yourself much more marketable because if even if you apply, there's a huge chance that corporate, before even like interacting with you, is going to go online and look you up on LinkedIn. And they're going to say, okay, this is what the CV says. This is what his LinkedIn uh, you know, says. Um, you know, do they match and do we want this type of person? And, you know, who is he connected with? And what type of things do, is he interested in? What type of work experience does he have? Those are, those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, you can really market well on LinkedIn. I also think that something that not everybody does, but personally, I think it, it does help, especially if you're a person with a disability, is having a cover letter that accompanies uh, your your CV, because a CV is very factual. A CV is very like, okay, these are all the stats about me. Um, but a cover letter allows you to bring that personal touch. As Nicole mentioned, you know, position your strength, not positioning your weakness. Um, I always say that my disability is my greatest weakness, but it's also my greatest strength because it's the thing that pushes me forward. And it's the thing that has made me such a driven person and I put that in my cover letter, um, you know, so from, from the get-go, I've disclosed that I'm a person with a disability, but also I've highlighted it in a way that it's not a negative, it's a positive. So I think um, in, my, in my view, those are the key things um, from a personal perspective of being prepared for, for that. And then I think another important thing to do is to research the company um, that you're applying for. Uh, and this ties into the cover letter. If you can do a little bit of research on the company um, that you're applying to and integrate some of that in the in your cover letter, for example, the post that you're applying for, um, make sure that it highlight your cover letter highlights what they're looking for. I mean, you're basically doing their job for them and they're like, wow, this person, you know, is good and this person is doing what or is talking about the things that we need. Uh, so again, it just positions you well. Great. Thank you. That's excellent advice from both of you. If people would like to reach out to you and find out more about Smurgis, how can they find you? Where should they come? Okay, so we are on uh, social media. Uh, so we are on Facebook. They could just search for Smurgis. Uh, 
on Instagram and uh, and LinkedIn. Uh, so just by typing in Smergos, so that's S-M-E-R-G-O-S, they would be able to, to find us. Um, alternatively, our email addresses are also very simple, Nicole at Smergos and Nick at Smergos.com. And then if you want to visit our website, please feel free to go to www.smergos.com. Great. Thank you. And I will include those links in the show notes as well. So there's so many, as I said at the beginning, there's so many different questions that keep coming up for me. But I do want to just bear in mind that you both are busy people and I must respect the time that you're giving for this interview as well, for this podcast. But I do want to end off with, with a final question to tell us what is in the future for Smurfers. Um, Thanks so much, Lois. A lot of people don't um, always ask us that, and I think it's really, really an exciting time or an exciting space for us. Um, I think the key things that are standing out for us and and, uh, really are highlighted for us in the conversations that we're having with others are the need for that research that I was talking about earlier. So um, we want to collaborate with other researchers. We want to do internal research. We want to get funding for research um, to make not just these small level or, or rather, um, you know, internal researchers, uh, research projects possible within one company, but can we do something um, across the whole of Johannesburg or can we do something across the whole country? Um, so that's that's the research avenue that we want to really work on. Um, also, we're always looking for collaborations. Uh, a big part of Smogos is not working within a silo. So we find that a lot of people or a lot of organizations that support disability tend to stick to their own groups. Um, and we try and break that mold and say like, we don't really mind what organization you're with or you know what disability you're focusing on. And uh, we would like to collaborate with you. So uh, if there are any people uh, listening to this, and they want to collaborate us with us, whether you are a person with a disability or a person without a disability. If you've got a cool idea that you think can help us um, move society forward and inspire that motion, please do get in touch with us. And I think last but not least is um, having more events like Nicole was uh, talking about online, but also in person. We host these in-person events approximately once a month. Uh, we recently had a networking one, and that was our most successful one yet. We had about six different disability uh, types featured there. Um, we had people coming and networking and, and creating business opportunities, having awesome discussions. We had a lady come in, uh, or Zoom in rather, all the way from Japan. She's a South African herself, but she's busy studying her PhD in inclusion uh, in Japan. And... Um, she zoomed in to tell us all about her experiences and what she's learned as a person with a disability in the business space. So I think that was really, really awesome. So I was really inspired by that and the fact that there were so many people there that uh, one of my personal drives as an extrovert is to have more of those sessions happen. Great. Thank you. And I guess I should have asked this way back earlier in the interview. You are based in Johannesburg in Gauteng, but where do you operate? Where, what is your ideal location to operate? Is it just in that space or are you also happy to operate 
countrywide. Uh, so at the moment, uh, with with the work we have been doing, it mainly has been based in Johannesburg, although we're not limited to that. And, uh, you know, we, we're happy to be able to work uh, nationwide. I mean, if it's a good reason to travel, oh, damn, I need to go and do some training in Cape Town. Oh, no. These things that you can be asked to do, really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's one of those things that it's at least good to know that it is it's something that is available to people who are listening from outside of Gauteng as well. And I think just to add on to that, Lois, um, you know, we have done um, in-person training sessions and, and uh, awareness training and things like that in person, but we've also done uh, a lot of it online. So say, for example, we did... Um, do some work with a company in Cape Town. It doesn't mean that we have to be in Cape Town all the time. Uh, we can structure it in a way that we can do maybe 80% of it online and 20% of it in person. And we can really plan that 20% carefully so that when we come down there, uh, we make sure that it's impactful, that we get uh, the right training sessions done for um, for the managers, for the leaders and for the employees. So um, we, we're flexible in that regard because of my... Um, background as a professional speaker, um, I'm very okay with um, Zoom and things like that. So we make pretty much anything work. Great. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come and chat to us today. It's been really great to learn a little bit about the work that you're doing and and some of the, the services that you offer. So Nicole, Nick, thank you very much. It's been really great to chat to you here on A Different Way of Seeing. It's Thank been awesome from my side. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loisstrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachan Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachan using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Jassy. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.